Welcome to the teaching ministry of Faith Bible Church. We pray as you listen to the following message, you will be encouraged and equipped to passionately pursue Christ. For more information, please visit our website at fbcevansville.com. So union with Christ might not be something that you've ever really heard or or thought about or, or studied to a to a great ex, you know any great extent, but uh, I wanted to put up a couple of quotes here just to to show you how men of of old who we high we hold in in very high esteem here uh, thought about this doctrine. So this is this is Spurgeon what what Spurgeon had to say about it. He said. The relationship between Christ and the believer is the nearest, dearest, closest, most intense, and most enduring relationship that can be imagined. We live because Christ lives, and our lives are hid with Christ in God. It is closer than a husband and wife or children and their parents. One of the greatest mysteries in the Bible is the believer's vital relationship to his Lord and Savior. So, really important to him. And uh, I came across this. Lloyd-Jones actually preached through, uh, he preached, and, and then, of course, his sermons have been written down on Ephesians chapter 2. And this is what he had to say. He said, here we are undoubtedly face to face with one of the greatest and most marvelous of all the Christian doctrines, one of the most glorious beyond any question at all. It is the whole teaching of the scripture with regard to our union with Christ. So, pretty high praise um, uh, for this doctrine. And one thing I was thinking, too, is, is um, union with Christ gives us something that the angels don't have, right? So, so how grateful ought believers to be that we have union with Christ? You know, angels are pretty awesome. They're pretty awesome beings. And... Uh, they're, they're sinless in reality. We are sinners. We are unworthy of God's grace, and yet he has drawn us close, and, and he's put us in, in union with Jesus Christ. So um, before I get started on the summary, another thing I wanted to do is, is tell you of, of, there were five books that I used, and I'm just going to put them up here and tell you a little bit about them. If, if you want to uh, further your study, these are some places to go. So this is the one that I used mostly for the outline, and this is something that's fairly recent, put out maybe two or three years ago. A young pastor named Rankin Wilborn wrote it, uh, Union with Christ, and his subtitle is the way, to Inno- the way to Know and Enjoy God, you know, so that wasn't original to me, obviously. Uh, uh, it's, it's a good work on Union with Christ. The Whole Christ by Sinclair Ferguson, also a very good work on this. Um, this is an old, old one, maybe 100 years old, Spiritual Union and Communion by A.W. Pink. It's a little more technical. Um, he's, he's not as easy to read as, as the other guys are. Redemption Accomplished and Applied by John Murray is um, an absolute classic and uh, I know I've said many, many times that I don't think you can get to heaven without having read Knowing God by J.I. Packer. I haven't found chapter and verse to back me on that, but I'm pretty sure that's the case. This is another one that, well, anyway, I would highly recommend it. It's a short read, too. It's, I don't know, 100 pages, maybe. And if you really want to dig deeper, this is a, this is a Puritan work 
called The Gospel Mystery of Sanctification. And if you see the, the subtitle, Growing in Holiness by Living in Union with Christ. So um, heavy, heavy reading right there, but really, really good. If you can, if you can mind and sift, you'll, you'll definitely find some gold there. Um, so I said I, that we do some review, and um, I wanted to kind of repeat. In our first class, I said that we'd have four points that we would try to learn over these few weeks. And so we're going to look at those four points again. They're on your outline. So first of all, what is union with Christ? So we'll review that. What does it mean? Why is it important? And most importantly, how can it help me? And that's what I hope that you'll take away uh, from today's class. So the first thing to ask is, what is it? What is union with Christ? So are there any volunteers that would like to take a shot at what is union with Christ? Yeah. It's security. Okay. It's an unbreakable bond, right? What else is it? Second. Jason? He, yeah, it's, it's abiding in him. We are in him. We abide in him. Very good. Anyone else? Marilyn? We did learn in the beginning that it was a mystery. It, it's a mystery, yes. It's like being absorbed into him. It's like being one. Even more intimate, like you said, than has been Yeah. It's a relation. It's an intimate relationship that we have. Yeah, and and it's mysterious. Anyone else? All right. Well, here's here's a couple of from some systematic theologies. Louis Burkhoff. We said this: union with Christ is that intimate, vital, and spiritual union between Christ and His people, in virtue of which He is the source of their life and strength of their blessedness and salvation. And that's the best, I think, definition that I've found. One that's a little more technical uh, was from Wayne Grudem's Systematic Theology, where he says, union with Christ is a phrase used to summarize several different relationships between believers and Christ, through which Christians receive every benefit of salvation. These relationships include the fact that we are in Christ, Christ is in us, we are like Christ, and we are with Christ. So, all right, another question, class. Where do we find the most concentrated writings on union with Christ in our Bibles? John? Romans 6? Ephesians? Paul's epistles, that's the answer I was looking for. So in your Bible, if you open it up, my Bible has about 116 pages uh, of Paul's writings. You know, my Bible's a little over 1,500 pages. Uh, I need the bigger print now, uh, sadly. But um, so 110 pages, you'll see, of Paul's letters, unless you think he wrote Hebrews. So we're excluding that. So... How many times is union with Christ mentioned in 110 pages? Guess. 
99.6. No. Yeah. Some derivative of being in Christ, like Grudem says out up here, in Christ, in him, with him, any of those type of phrases. Any guesses? 110 times on 116 pages. That's not a bad guess. A little short. 200 times. That's exactly right. Not exactly, but really close. About 200 times. And so the argument can be made that it's not election or predestination or really even justification that is, is the central hub of Paul's writings. Agreed? I mean, he doesn't mention justification 200 times, I can promise you that. He doesn't mention election 200 times, but he does mention being in Christ. And so if it's important to him, it ought to be important to us, I believe. Okay, another question. Where in the Bible does it say or imply that we receive every benefit of salvation through our union with Christ? Ephesians 1, verse... Verse 3, Ephesians 1, 3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ or in union with Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. All right, so we also said that the Bible gives us, to help us to see this, even though it is a mystery, and we're, you know, we're not the brightest people, you know, but... To help us to see that, we also said that the Bible gives us four metaphors for, union, for our union with Christ. What are they? Marriage. Marriage, husband and wife, right? The union there. What else? The vine and the branches. What else? Cornerstone. cornerstone. That's right. A building and a cornerstone. And there's one more. Body and head. Very good. The head and the body. And if, if you think about it, they all have kind of different pictures, don't they? You know? Kind of different pictures. Um, this is, Marilyn's kind of already answered this, but why do we need metaphors? Go ahead, Marilyn. Because it's a, it's a mystery. It's a mystery. See, you don't even remember what you said. <laughs> okay, it is a mystery. It is a mystery. It, yeah, and so the most well-known of these is the vine and the branches from Jesus' work in, in John, or his, his talk to his disciples in John 15. And so in, in I think it was our first class, um, I found this little thing and told you of my uh, in-depth studies of horticulture, um, five minutes worth. Um, anyway. But, but this gives us a, a picture of what happens to us, kind of, kind of. This isn't what happens, but it gives us kind of a picture of what happens to us at our conversion, at the new birth. We, okay, so um, in, in this, uh, there's, there's a scion and a rootstock. In, in this picture, we would be the scion and Christ would be the rootstock. So that would be the vine and the branches, so we are grafted into Christ. And how do we take hold of Christ? 
by, by faith. And how does he take hold of us? By the Holy Spirit. Any, any volunteers? The Holy Spirit. So this, I think, is a helpful, helpful um, picture. All right. So that that's kind of wraps up uh, what is union with Christ. It's a mystery. Uh, we have metaphors to describe it. Um, it is intimate, vital, and it summarizes many different relationships. So, so that's that's the first section. Are there any questions or comments? Whoops, I get a little trigger happy there. Okay, the second the second part is we're going to answer what does it mean. Okay, so this is one of the things that we said in an early lesson was that union with Christ helps us to see that God had his eye upon us all the way from eternity past to eternity future. Okay, we weren't floating around on and on. He always had his eye upon us in love. He predestined us from when? Before the foundation of the world. So that's what I got a little trigger happy there. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. Okay? And then union with Christ lasts throughout all of eternity. Revelation 21.3, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. And we will dwell, uh, we, I don't know if it's we or he, I think it's he, he will dwell with them. And they will be his people and God himself will be uh, with them as their God. So there's that intimate, personal relationship for all of eternity. For all of eternity. All right, so secondly... We also said that there is no aspect of our redemption which does not grow out of the soil of our union with Christ. So, for instance, our justification is out of our union with Christ. It's his imputed righteousness to us. Our sanctification, our glorification, our adoption, everything is implanted in that soil of union with Christ and flows out of that or grows out of that. Here's a little section of what Grudem said, and I just wanted to use that to kind of affirm what I was saying. Union with Christ is a phrase used to summarize several different relationships between believers and Christ, through which Christians receive every benefit of salvation. Okay, thirdly, Through our union with Christ, we can have a balanced view of our sanctification as well. Because we tend to go too far this way or too far this way, both as individuals. We'll do that individually. All of us do it. All of us do it. But not only that, there's some pretty strong doctrinal um, uh, statements or beliefs that are too far this way and too far this way. And we need to be really discerning and really careful. And our union with Christ, I think, can help us with that. So does anybody remember what the two errors we, we called them? One of them was... Pardon? Let go and let God. Yep, that's it. So We said it was pietism and quietism. I don't know if they're verses, but, you know... 
pietism versus quietism, but it's pietism and quietism. So what, what, did, what did we say, or what is pietism as an error? Basically legalism. It's like self-righteousness. self-righteousness. If it is to be, it's up to me, right? Pick yourself up by the bootstraps, put a few rules in place, keep those staunchly, you know, and if anybody else doesn't adhere to what I believe, buddy, look out. Yeah. Proof texting is what you're saying. Yeah. 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 Proof texting. Yeah. That's not a good thing to do. It's not a good thing to do. Yeah. That's a good point. Oh, Marilyn was humming, not asking questions, okay. Um, But anyway, your spiritual growth is entirely dependent upon you. Do you see? Your prayers, your Bible study, your good works, basically growth is dependent upon self-discipline and self-effort. Is that biblical? No. It's not biblical. Union with Christ helps us to see that. We'll look at that in just a minute. And then quietism, um, let go and let God. Basically, it's passivity. Christ has done it for me, you know. I am, I am the branch and the vine, and he's going to, you know. Yeah. But, it's, but it is passivity. So because we're united with Christ, uh, as the, the scion is uh, to the rootstock, or as Jesus said, I am the vine and you are the branches we can have a much more uh, balanced view as to how we grow. Now, what do I mean by that? Um, Well, first of all, on one hand, Christ gives us the the basis of our relationship with him in the vine and the branches. So what does that imply? If if he is the vine and we are the branches, how does that help to us? His life comes to us from him, so he's the source of our life. And we are righteous outside, I mean, we are righteous no matter. Yeah. And we are righteous outside of ourselves, I think is, yeah. yeah. We, we, we are righteous in his eyes. The vine is our righteousness. and right. right. Yeah. So that, that is, that is one aspect of it that definitely can help us. But didn't Jesus also say that I am the vine and you are the branches, therefore what? Apart from me, you can do nothing. So there's a part of our total dependence. Then he also said he gave them something to do, right? What did he say? Bear fruit. How? Keeping with repentance. By, it's a word that starts with an A. Abiding, it's what he said. So he gives, he says, he gives this statement of fact I am the vine, you are the branches, and now abide in me. Okay? Abide in me. What does that look like? Does anybody remember? There were three things that, that we said abiding in Christ looks like. One thing I said is that it's not something mystical. 
Abiding in Christ is not something mystical. It is something that we do. And how do we do it? You can look at your Bibles if you want. Abide in his word. Two more. Abide in prayer and obedience. And if you look through at verses 12 through 17, you could also say, abide in love for one another. He goes to great, I didn't go into it, but Jesus did. Verses 12 through 17 talk, talks about that. So we can say it like this as a balanced view is that our sanctification is both a grace, right? Jesus united himself to us, and it's also a duty to abide, to continue, to persevere all the way to the end. Okay, so vine and branches, yet we're to abide. And, and we also said that we need both of these, don't we? We need both of these songs playing in our head constantly. That's how we don't go too far this way or we don't go too far this way, is we need them both every day, all the time, every day, every step we take. Okay, the last thing that we said is that there's a certain art to doing this, and I likened it to... Oops, okay. It's not this. That would be passive, right? We don't just let go and let Jesus do it for us, right? I remember a a Christian song in the 70s that said that. It's like, let Jesus do it for you, you know? Weird song, anyway. It's not like this either, where we have all of the power within us to live the life, and it's just at our command, right? That isn't it either. So what do we say it was? It was like this. Why? Why did, why did we say that this is the art of abiding in Christ? Say it again. I'm sorry. Takes effort. Yeah, so we're putting forth the effort to use the components of sailing, the sails and all that goes with it. But we are totally dependent on something, right? The wind. Without the wind, we're not going anywhere, are we? Without Christ, we're not going anywhere. Okay. Without his grace, his mercy, his spirit, we're not going anywhere. Okay. We'll, we'll actually circle back to that um, toward the end there. Okay, so that's, that's the second part of your outline is that's what it means. Okay, any questions, comments? Okay. All right, so the third point on our outline is why is it important? Why is it important? Well, other than what's already been mentioned, I I think I have three points here that I want to share with you. So first, it's important because it not only gives us strength for living, but it gives us hope for a future, and it also gives us a new identity. It gives us a new identity. If you are in Christ, you are not who you once were. You are a whole new creation You are no longer one who is identified as one in Adam, but your identity is now in Christ. That is who you are. And we referenced 
we referenced an ordinance of the church to help us to see that. What was it? I'm bad at asking questions, I know. Just forgive me. It is baptism, yes. It is our baptism that we said represents this new identity. We are baptized into whom? Into Christ. We're baptized, and we say it um, as the apostles did, in, into the name of the Father and the Son and the Spirit. We're baptized into Christ. We were once in Adam, we died. Right? We're buried. That man is buried. We're raised to new life. We're raised um, to new life by resurrection and by the power of the Holy Spirit, that resurrection power. And now we live as one who has the name of Christ as a new creation. We also said that there was a, an old reformer who used to remind himself that he is now a baptized man. Whenever, um, whenever he would be tempted to sin, he would remind himself that he is somebody new. So that baptism is, is testifying to who he is. And that's how we can use, when we think of our water baptism, that's how we can think of it. This is testifying as to who you now are. You're no longer who you once were. So who was the reformer? Martin Luther. So, so when he was tempted to sin, it, it is said that, that he actually etched this, I think, in his desk, uh, in his study. So he, I am baptized in whatever it, I don't know, what did he speak, Latin, I guess? I don't know. Latin, German, I don't know. I, I don't know either, so I barely know English. But what a good reminder for all of us. We're tempted to sin. Remind yourself, I'm a baptized person. I am new. I have a new identity. I'm no longer who I once was. This is a great thing uh, for us to do. Okay, so that's the first reason that union with Christ is important. The second reason it's important is because um, we receive very extra special blessings. And as I said, this is going to be a little repetitive and redundant. But... um, we receive special blessings from God through our union with Christ. Uh, we made the point that God exists to demonstrate his glory. And let's be honest. If we're all honest right now today, how much glory is there in us in and of ourselves? I see none. Marilyn sees none. Anyone else? Zero, I see a big zero up there. There is no glory. I, I love all of you in Jesus, okay? But there's no glory in any of you. And there's no glory in me either. And God does everything to demonstrate his glory. So how in the world can he get glory out of such unglorious beings? Yes, our inward man. In our inward being, there is no glory. Yes, in, in, right. in, in our creation, of course, God is glorified in our creative being, for sure. But he's, 
He's not in our inward man, in our natural state, that's for sure. We, we do nothing. I mean, what does Romans 3.23 tell us? For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Somebody have a question? Yes, sir. Yeah. That's right. That's exactly right. Or we could use the moon as an illustration. The moon has no glory, no brightness in and of itself, but it reflects the, the glory and the brightness of the sun, for sure. Ricardo. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. So the way, what we're, my, I guess my point here is the way in which he gets glory out of us, he gives us the glory of his son. He unites us with his son. He imputes that righteousness. He gives us other blessings. And we, we looked at some of these other blessings um, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. These would be the blessings of our, our union with Christ. So 1 Corinthians 1 uh, verses 30 and 31 tells us, And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom. That's a blessing of our union with Christ is wisdom. We now have the wisdom of Christ. I lost my place. Righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. So that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. You didn't do that yourself. You are not glorious in and of yourself. You are not righteous in and of yourself. You're not sanctified in and of yourself. You did not redeem yourself. All glory goes to Christ, and we have nothing for which to boast. The third reason that we said union with Christ is important is because we have a new hope. We have a new destination so to speak. Um, And a reflection of that is that we are now positionally seated in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And I don't know about you all, but when you come across that in Ephesians and, and Colossians, isn't that a little, that's a really mysterious passage if you ask me. Like what does it mean to be seated in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus? What does it mean? I don't know. I've always thought it was. But what, what we kind of looked at is we said that because, you know, we're, we're to look heavenward because that is where Christ is seated at where? Where is Christ seated now? At, at the right hand of God. And we also said that he is, to use some, some archaic language, he is executing certain offices on our behalf. What are they? There were three offices that he executes on our behalf. Prophet, priest, and king. So he is doing those on our behalf. Does anybody want to take a shot at how Christ is our prophet? Christ is our prophet because he is revealing to us God's will for our lives 
through his word and through his Holy Spirit. He is our priest because he offered himself once for sin, which satisfied divine wrath and justice. And he reconciled us to God. And what is he doing now? He lives to do this, to make continual intercession for us. He's praying for us. He's praying for us today. The prayer that I offered up to open up this class, he prayed, he, he purified that prayer, if you will, to the Father. And he lives to do this. He doesn't, here they giving me prayers again. I guess I'll do something with it. He lives to do this for us. This is a part of our, our new destination, our new, uh, our new hope, a new hope that we have in Christ is in his offices. So in knowing this, Christ is all to us. We receive wisdom and truth uh, from our prophet. We receive sympathy from Christ as our priest because he suffered and was tempted as we have been tempted, right? Uh, He makes continual intercession. He ever lives to make intercession for us. And as our king, as our king, we know that he is subduing our wills because he's the king, right? He's subduing our wills. And he's also, um, he has defeated every enemy. What hope we have. What hope we have in Christ Jesus. All right, so that's the third point. We'll go into the last point, which is maybe a little more practical. At least I hope so. But does anybody have a question or comment? Okay, well, fourth point is how can it help me? How can it help me? So the goal of the Christian life, we could say, as we live here horizontally, I think can be summed up in a couple of passages here. So the first one, I'm a little behind. Yeah, so the first one would be maturity. That would be a great aim, right? That would be a great aim. If we have a brother or sister who comes to us and we're offering them counsel, what are we really looking to do? To just console them? Or are we looking to help them to obtain maturity? So Paul says, Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. So that was the, the aim of, of Paul's ministry. Another aim that he had, he said, he, he wrote in Timothy, he said, The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and good conscience, and a sincere faith. So, how does union with Christ help us to attain these goals? How can union with Christ help us to attain these goals? You're not, you're right. And, that, and that's a great part of it, is to know that we are helpless apart from him. That's good. How else, Marilyn? Well, because then we put all our trust in him so that whenever anything, whatever Jesus feels is better for our life, and it happens in our life, we know that it's coming from him, that it's better for us, even though we see it as, this is terrible, but that he, he makes sense of what does not make sense. Yeah, very good. So trials mean something, right? We talked about pruning the pruning of the Father in, in John 15. So it all, it all means something. It all has to do with us a, a, attaining maturity. 
and love issued from a, right, from a pure heart and so on. All right, so I know that we touched on this already, but I, I'm, there's, you know, there's many ways you can, you can kind of see this, but the way that I want to try to help you take this away is, is to see what Sinclair Ferguson called getting your gospel grammar right. Getting your gospel grammar right. So how can we help ourselves and how can we help other people? Well, first of all, we know that under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, that especially Paul's writings that we've referenced this morning are written in two moods. Doesn't mean he was in a mood like, I'm in a bad mood today and I'm in a good mood tomorrow. No, this is technical grammar speech. But he wrote in two moods. One of them is called the indicative, and one of them is called the imperative. These are moods in which he wrote. So Paul always, 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 and did I say always? Okay, I'm just making sure. So, so let me, I haven't defined this. So indicatives are statements of fact. That's what they are. This is who you are in Christ. I am the true vine and you are the branches. These are statements of fact. So the imperative mood would be an expression uh, of a request or a command. And what Paul always did is he always used the indicative followed by the imperative. So before he ever tells us to do anything, which is where we are in Ephesians right now, is Paul is telling us how we should live. He's telling us how then we should live. But he previewed that. He, he wrote it, the indicatives of who we are, first and foremost. And that is getting our gospel grammar right. You know, think of it, think of it this way, okay? Um, how many of you have kids under 10? Okay, lots of you, all right? So do we, do we just go, stop running in the house, Put your coat on. Well, we do. But how well is that received? How well is that received? So we're giving a command. And then if we hear the question, why, what's a typical response? Because I said so. Now, I'm not saying that's never appropriate. I'm not. But most of the time, how much better would it be to say, Johnny... It's 12 degrees outside. You need to put on long pants. You see? You've made a statement of fact followed by a command. That's what Paul did for us under the the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He gave us a reason why. Why should we live the way that we are to live? It's because we have every blessing in Jesus Christ. How can we not live that way? We have all these blessings that we've talked about this morning. So this is, this is getting our, our gospel grammar right. And I'm a little short on time, so I'm going to have to skip a couple of things here. Bear with me a second. Okay, where I'm going to go with this is, is to say some of those ways in which Christ has made us his own, some of these indicatives, 
I want us to look at very, very closely. So let me, let me get to that part here. Okay. All right. So these are some of the indicatives. These are some of the why should we live obedient lives in conform, being more and more conformed to Jesus Christ. Why should we do that? Well, the first thing is we have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. We've already said that two or three times, but gosh, that's a pretty universal thing. We have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. How about we've been predestined, adopted, redeemed, given an inheritance? We see all this from Ephesians 1. How about this? We are a new creation in Christ Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5.17 We have freedom from sin's dominion. We have freedom from sin's dominion. Now I want to pause here and just say, how can that help us? And how can that help us as we counsel other people? You know, again, as we talk to other people, as we help other people, where do we go? Well, you need to stop doing that. Or you need to start doing this. How much better is it to, to remind people of who they are? Let's not skip, Let's not skip the, the, uh, the indicative here. How about this? We're free from sin's condemnation. Where do we find that? Where do we find that we are free from sin's condemnation? It's going crazy. There is now, therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Uh, we have the benefits of Christ's righteousness imputed to our account. We see that in 2 Corinthians 5.21, Philippians 3.9. And the last thing is we have assurance. We can have assurance. We know that we have spiritual life. So, But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. So union with Christ gives us this help that we need to change and grow and persevere all the way to the end. And it looks like I'm out of time. So um, last week we did talk about it can give us assurance through... I'll get there. I had a lot of verses. All of these different things here. These are all evidences. So how can we know that we have union with Christ. Well, we, we, have, we have evidence. We have evidence. Though union with Christ itself is a mystery, um, we have evidence. So I just want to close by saying that this is, an, as I said before, it's an unbreakable bond. It's an unbreakable bond. What can separate us? Nothing, Nothing can separate us. And I want to say this. Um, if you are not walking with the Lord in close personal communion, or you know somebody that isn't walking with the Lord in close personal communion with him, um, bearing fruit, well, you know, we have some warning passages that might say we're not true branches. But, but the other thing I would tell you is this isn't what you were made for, not to walk in close personal communion, you are made new and alive to bear fruit, to walk in communion with him. And I think union with Christ is, I think biblically speaking, is the venue, the avenue by which we have 
that close personal communion. The, la the last thing that I want to say is, and I want to end it with a quote uh, from John Calvin, and uh, I kind of want to preface it by saying this. this. This can be really technical. This can be really mysterious, can't it? I mean, it can be. But, um, well, let, let me have Calvin say it. He'll say it better for us. He says, for my own part, I'm overwhelmed by the depth of this mystery. So I would, I would pause there and say, brothers and sisters, labor to be overwhelmed and ravished by Jesus Christ and your union with him. Maybe not in a contemplative, technical way, but in the soul. And he goes on to say, and am not ashamed to join Paul in acknowledging at once my ignorance and my admiration. Whatever is supernatural is clearly beyond my own comprehension. And it is a supernatural union that we have with Jesus Christ. It is supernatural. And it's only through supernatural workings. So let us therefore labor more to feel Christ living in us than to discover the nature of it. So like I said, he said it better than I could say it, but that would be my encouragement for everyone, is to labor more to feel Christ living in you. Not extra biblically, I'm not implying that, but based upon applying the scriptures and who we are in Jesus Christ. And with that, I close. Are there, are there any questions, comments? Warren? Thank you for saying so. Let's pray. Father, indeed, we are blessed beyond measure. We're blessed even greater than the angels. Help us to feel it. Help us to know who we are in Christ. Help us to be completely overwhelmed with his being. As this prepares us for what our eternity will be like, we will be ravished and overwhelmed at the glory of this being, of this great, great Redeemer and Savior. I pray that, that these thoughts would, would flow into our worship this morning, and uh, I pray that our worship would be acceptable and pleasing to you, um, and it would stir our hearts up with more thoughts um, of who we are. In Christ Jesus. It's in his name I pray. Amen.